dance with Denise Shapanda and Tony Dino. Whoa! Kata kata maraganana chala kala nunga nunga nana. Damn it! Get me a phone. I can't believe I'm about to do this. Now would probably be a good time to look for other employment options. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to Firing Blanks, the next edition. This is, uh, is this episode six now? I think we're on episode six Episode now. six of Firing Blanks. Can you believe it? It's, it's, we've come a long way. We don't hold, pull any punches on this show because uh, this week... Uh, we're talking about psychopaths. Psychopaths, the mm. the um, the most psychopathic person we've met, and the most psychopathic people in history. So, Delisa, we need to kind of get this one sorted right off the bat. Um, Delisa Shaponda, are you a psychopath? Well, this is part of the thing. Is I think part of the problem is I was trying to think about there is the classic sort of conversational definition of psychopath. Yeah. Right? So if I was just talking with a mate and we're saying, this guy's a psychopath, I used to think a psychopath was someone who kills a bunch of people. Yeah, or just a, like a, a bit emotionally irrational. A bit emotionally irrational. Kind of, I, no, no, I don't think that. You see, this is what I'm saying. I'm saying there are two definitions. The, the definition, yeah. which we always used to have, which was a psychopath, is like a serial killer or like a horrible person who murders loads of people. But now... In in common parlance, people are now using the. There was an yeah, article a few years ago about how most comedians are psychopaths, right? Well, this is it, and 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 not not just most comedians. The, if you there's a documentary called The Corporation, which talks yes. about the idea that every every organization, if you were to put them through like you know the the test, the test. they'd come out as psychopaths. And I also think this test is a load of hogwash, right? But just so you know, <laughs> just so you know, there's a test with twenty criteria. Yeah, the hair test. Yeah. Yes, it's the hair test. And it checks if you are glib, if you have superficial charm, a grandiose self of self... Okay, so first Uh-oh. of all, let me say, no by chance. the hair test, <laughs> I am the most psychopathic person I've met. Okay. <laughs> but I, at the same time, do not think this is a realistic portrayal. Most people who are very driven will classify for a lot of these things. But wait, look at this. Okay, so glib. I think I can be glib. I make fun. I actually have had issues... Where in arguments with girlfriends, part of my biggest problem was I used to mock their argument as opposed to making a a, a logical <laughs> response. And being glib is not going to help that... any situation, right? <laughs> like, you superficial know... charm. I think I'm charming. I don't think it's superficial. I think it's deep, but maybe, okay? Yeah. Delisa, you're deeply charming then. That's yes, what it is. deeply yeah. charming. Oh, no! Sorry, that was a glib comment. A brand new sense of self-worth. I was just lying I used to lie excessively I, I think I've tempered the lying by becoming a stand-up comic because I can tell my lies on stage oh nice it's quite contained it's contained but it's still there I love lying and then cunning and manipulative I don't know if I'm, I'm cunning I, I do manipulate on occasion lack of remorse by the way this, this isn't a, if you're looking for a girlfriend this isn't the greatest this advertisement the greatest anyway. answer, but I'm just saying by the hair test yeah I am the most psychopathic La- person. So lack of remorse. Go on, let's, let's have it. Okay, lack of remorse. Yeah. And I rarely feel remorse. I, I feel regret mm-hmm. for situations where either I was humiliated or caught. Yeah. But I don't actually think I feel sorry for stuff that yeah. I got away with. Yeah. 
Is remorse say, a physiological? I feel guilty of feeling remorse, but because you can also have mental remorse. Say that is something I don't. I, I don't agree with what I did, and I won't do it again. That's a like, level of remorse. I've hurt somebody's feelings. I was in like a, a a bit of a battle over my contract, yeah. and I did something underhanded in order to get the the um the upper hand, and the person got very hurt. I didn't really feel bad. I. I do you know what I mean? It's just one of those things where, Interesting, right? yeah. where I I can logic through. Okay, this is something which you shouldn't do. Yeah. And also because I'm religious, there's stuff that I won't do because I think it is wrong. Yeah. But if I did do it, I don't think I'd feel guilty. I just know it's a wrong thing to do. Yeah. I think there's also different things with personalities because the classic thing with a, a psychopath is, you know, if you were to go, what is the baseline definition? <laughs> It's someone that doesn't feel empathy and emotional uh, connection with another person's pain. And, and, and they've done research on this. This is part of the idea that the, the amygdala is not developed in it, that, that part of the brain. That, but, but you get people that are heady people that are like, you know, they're, they're more in their head than in their body and their emotions. So they're not necessarily naturally empathetic. But no way, they're not even close to being... Yes, I like being even on that spectrum. Really. Again, I don't necessarily feel empathy. I wonder sometimes if I've ever been in love. I've never been in love like a movie love. Yeah, I've 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 never had that. Oh, I I would not be able to <laughs> exist without you. But I'm willing to. I don't think anybody does. I think that's just stuff you say. <laughs> you would get over it. I love it. Okay. Uh, any of uh, Deliso's ex-girlfriends want to ring in and see if... See if current you're... girlfriends would be very upset. <laughs> and then, uh, what's this, emotional shallowness, uh, callousness, lack of empathy, and willing to accept responsibility for actions. But I think everybody's defensive. Okay, let me stop saying everybody. I'm defensive if, I'm, if I've done something wrong. I always try to yeah. explain why I've done it, because usually there's a reason I did it. Lack of realistic long-term goals. I want to be, like, the greatest comedian ever. I don't think that's really... Uh, uh, you know what I mean? I don't think this is realistic. I want to be, like, Richard Pryor great, okay? <laughs> then uh, a tendency towards boredom. I get bored. A parasitic lifestyle. I don't think I've got that one. I don't think I'm parasitic. Unless... Thank goodness for that, Delisa. No, 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 no. But if you ask members of, like, the National Front... I am a parasitic <laughs> foreigner sucking on the teeth of the British nation. So there we've got a lack of realistic long-term goals, uh, impulsivity. I don't think I'm very impulsive. Irresponsibility. No, you know. But all I'm saying is I did this psychopath test, okay. which again, who says this is right? It's this person's book. And by that, I am, you know, borderline. I'm it not totally psychopath but to me i'm like i've never killed animals i've never killed people i wouldn't to me a psychopath is someone i think maybe it's criminally psychopath when i think of criminal psychopath because i know loads of especially in entertainment this yeah. was, there was a study that lots of entertainers are by this psychopath test they exhibit a lot of the because often the reason why people will end up being performers. People who've been bullied a lot, Man. people who have trouble socialising, uh, people who uh, are looking for se a sense of self-validation 
And these are all things which are in common with people who go the other way. Yeah, and sometimes some of the things that are on the test, like a grandiose sense of self, are actual crutches that enable people to go into the performance industry. You know, to actually go, I believe I can stand up here and speak in front of the four and five hundred people and make them laugh. It's also possible that being finding comedy and finding performance yeah. is the reason we didn't end up chopping up people. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, we found a vent for the lying, we found a vent for the the validation. Yeah. Now, yeah. I'm not saying necessarily chopping up people, but, you know, they say, like, a lot of psychopaths end up running, like, heartless, um, like, we- weapons manufacturing yeah. industry or something like that. Good thing I found comedy. Yeah. <laughs> I could be running, you know, <laughs> some kind of... Yeah, there's not. Yeah, not many. Not many oceans have been polluted through uh, a bad joke. You yes. know, no. Not but many actually, I, I think there's a level of where lack of empathy helps you be funny. In, for example, when you read a, a story in the news, yeah, my impulse is to make a joke out of it. Yeah, you rather than try and engage with the emotional side, you 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 take a step back and you try and look at it from and a different angle. And you look at angle. the words. Yeah, yeah. And, and you, you look, look at probably right. And there's also part of the reason why I always think that if people had, like, if this tape recorder, which is recording our podcast, was in most green rooms in the country, yeah, it would ruin the careers of most comedians <laughs> because yeah. backstage our sense of humor is totally. It's really macabre. It's isn't very it? macabre. Yeah. It's very. But I also think it's like you cannot be sensitive. And funny when talking about uh, a current event. You're either going to go the Oprah route and weep, or you're going to tear it apart like it's just a concept. So it can be something really, really horrible. Like, you know, 500 people died today in a tragedy. And you can either respond to it emotionally, or you can make a joke but then that is to like current affairs and big things and like you know it's how that's transmitted as well so you get that through tv through the papers through something on the internet it is hard to engage with that emotionally you know hundreds of people die wherever and it's hard to engage with that but i suppose the thing with the psychopath test and, and you've scored really well. 18 out of 20. 18 out of 20. And I, I still say I'm not a psychopath. The test st- is flawed! <laughs> the test, I question the test! Delisa, that is exactly what a psychopath would say. <laughs> <laughs> but essentially, the, the idea of like non-emotional empathy is people that you see and you know and you have some kind of physical connection with. That's the thing. So last night, uh, Delisa and I were on, on toys, the What the Africans Said to so I'm supporting yes. him on these toys, which is great. And last night we were in Bromsgrove yes. and, uh, and, a, and a, a comedian friend of ours, Duncan Logan, came who is, his full-time job is as a um, psychiatric nurse, right? Yes. And, uh, and I chatted to him about this and he thought it was interesting that the test, when they work with young people, yes. the test that goes, are, is someone predisposed to potentially becoming a psychopath is when they are cruel to animals early on. Okay. Right? And that's one of these early signs because they go, if you can see the pain of another sentient being and not connect with it and actually be quite, almost quite intrigued by it and wanting to dial it up just because it's a kind of intellectual exercise, then they go, there's a, there's a problem here. And then that, and you know, it's a question of degree and people that get to the point where they're, they're psychopaths, they'll be, they'll be going, I'm actually not engaged with your emotional uh, pain here. I'm actually intrigued by it, and, and if I do this, no, but I think that's intrigued. You see, because there's a difference between being intrigued and being not bothered. So I've never tortured an animal, but at no. the same time, I can go to a slaughterhouse and I'm not bothered. 
Yeah, exactly. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's what's happening. I'm like, we eat the meat. What do you think happens? And so there'll be, yeah. the, you know, there'll be these films which they show you to try and make you a vegetarian. I've seen that film. Like and animals I've, being killed. I and became I'm a like, vegetarian after watching one of them. <laughs> but what? Were you ignorant? Didn't you know that's what happened? I was on a oh, farm earlier in my life and I saw a chicken being killed and I was like, yeah, tasty chicken. I Deep So fun, I've yeah. never felt empathy, but I think it's a different thing. So if I see an animal in pain, yeah. it doesn't affect me. But I also have no desire to hurt the animal. Really? I remember as a kid, I was in bits. Like, I, found, I was in Spain with my dad, and someone had dumped a puppy in a, in a, in a bin, right? And I, and, and, and I just remember this, and it was like a... And I was in bits, and I went home, and I was like, Dad, look what I've had, like, a fat... And you've never seen an animal in pain, it just doesn't... It doesn't bother me. Now, look, at the same time, <laughs> I know it bothers other people, so there's no reason that I would hurt the animal, and there's no reason why I wouldn't help the animal because, you know, people generally want animals to be helped. Yeah. But I don't actually feel like an emotional... I think there's an actual thing. I think a lot of morality, for, for me, is logic. Logic, right? right? Yeah. It's also yeah. it's understanding of yeah. what is right and what is wrong. So I'm very religious, and so I want to do what is right, whether or not I have an emotional response. So I will not be mean to someone, even though I could be mean to them, about, and yeah. I wouldn't. It wouldn't bother me. It's quite dexterous, you know. You've got a moral code. I'm not dexterous. <laughs> Again, this is my problem. There is no killing. Okay, there are no comedy fans. After shows who go missing, just so you know, you can come and watch well, me safely. Listen, any reviewers listening to this show is going to be careful. Be careful. Like, oh, be careful. <laughs> no, no, no. But again, this is my problem with this uh, this term psychopath. Maybe the word term should be sociopath. But interestingly, they're, they're, they're interchangeable. They, they're not interchangeable because psychopath is associated with murderers and uh, yeah, in the common parlance, in the right? common, in the common parlance. but the, the, so the don't bring this. Stuff, yes. Yeah, but yeah. I don't like this. This is the problem: is we are all normal human beings. So we the are. truth is, common parlance is more relevant than medical parlance. And I think one of the things is we do use the word psychopath glibly, and that is part yes. of the problem where, where there's a bit of confusion. What... And like, look at the word obese. When someone sees someone fat, he says, "Look at him; he's obese." Yeah, he might not be clinically obese. But everybody's got to say he's a beast. He can't fit through the door. He's a beast. He's a beast. <laughs> yeah. So the, the interesting distinction, you've got primary psychopaths and secondary psychopaths. And I thought this was an interesting one. Primary psychopaths is the idea that there's a genetic disposition, as in they are in their brain, the make of the brain, they're, they're genetic. Whereas secondary, it's environmental. There's the idea that through experiences, through decisions, they've they've they don't have an attachment to you know the well, emotional look, connection with others and all that kind of stuff. Also, I've read enough books. Look, I can look at my childhood and look at being bullied, being uh, in horrible loneliness, and mm. surviving all sorts of bizarre abuse. It was not healthy to be sensitive and porous and to feel stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I just blocked stuff off. Yeah. Right. And you you have a detachment to your own feelings let alone everybody else's yeah. feelings, and it allows you to cope. But interestingly, I think it also aids creativity. This is why I actually think a lot of artists fit in this hair version of psychopath, which is mm. not the common part, is that 
the kind of detachment which you need to your emotions makes you a very good observer of you do emotions. you almost need to step back you a step little back bit. you yeah. can see what you're feeling from outside yeah you can analyze other people what they're feeling you can write fiction you can yeah. write stories you can there, I mean, there are loads of them. Because I was, when I was reading this thing, I was saying I'm not a psychopath. Then I started seeing all the people who they said are probably psychopaths, and I was like, I'm in good company. This is great. <laughs> well, it's not, it is like people that change society, people that lead society. That, 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 there's the idea that there's an inordinate, a high amount of high functioning psychopaths or, or sociopaths or people close to that. Because so, for instance, Duncan uh, Logan who talking about just then was saying a lot of politicians are and 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 a lot of um high leaders and part of the reason is that they can make decisions you know that might change people's lives but it's more of a logical decision and it's not based on how will that person feel how will that group feel and their emotions it's just literally they have a cold hard logic and let's hope that they've got the the kind of moral background fortitude that it is it's good for society rather than it's greed and all that kind of stuff which is yeah which is a big one so saying that, Deliso. Yes. Let's hear it. What's your, who who have you met? Who would you say? No, I would say I am the most psychopathic person I've met. Wow. Okay. By the mm-hmm. by the hair test and by this kind of non common parlance. And if you think about comedians, do you think? Do you think I think loads of them. loads of loads it's of, them. Inter- I loads have, of us. I have had and not just that. Loads of my favorite comedians. Yeah, yeah. Loads of my right. I absolutely. I have this conversation with a few comedians, and some of them say funny like. The whole idea of emotional empathy, right? I've got one comedian friend, you, you know, and uh, I won't mention his name, but he yeah. said the funniest thing. We, we, I was at um, home with my wife and he stayed over, right? And uh, we, me and my wife were talking about a couple friend of, a friend of ours. They'd been married like 10, 12 years and unfortunately the, the, because the woman in the relationship had some kind of debilitating d- disease and so the man was now kind of caring for her most of the time. So the relationship had kind of changed. And this comedian says he was watching TV with his wife and he'd seen like a documentary where this had happened, right? Yeah. And his wife turned around to him and said, you'd look after me, wouldn't you, if I got, if I got ill, right? And he turned to her and he looked her in the eyes and he said, listen, for this to work, you have to walk minimum. There's a level of honesty which he has, which I think is true. Yeah. I think it's true. Because I legitimately, I remember I told a girlfriend that because she said what if i got sick i said we'd be friends i just wouldn't be in a relationship with you anymore if you were like debilitatingly ill what what would there, yeah. what would there be for us to get what and i don't think that look i'll tell you this is the other <laughs> thing like i don't miss people yeah i've always this is also part of the thing it's like there are people i enjoy being around yeah while i'm around them so i'll try and maximize being around them but when they're not there why am i going to be depressed then that's They're quite, not there. That is quite a stoic, logical view of things, saying it's not going to add to your... It's not even going to add to the relationship if you're just like, oh, I'm just kind of going to feel bad now because you're not here. Yeah, and then so if you're in a relationship... Phone, yeah. and, and this is a problem. This is what I think leads to sometimes, not pathological lying, but logical lying. So you're in a relationship with someone, and they're like, I miss you so much, I miss you so much. If you're like, look, I don't miss you, this is not going to help anything. <laughs> so you say, I miss you too, but you don't actually miss them because you're just not with them at that moment. And also, I suppose you can play kind of mental gymnastics and go, what does it mean to miss? You know, you you could say, I actually, uh, logically, I would like if you were here and we were together. I had that so of question. course I miss no, you. I had I, that I thing. Wanna, yeah. I was, what does I, that mean? I was very attached to telling the truth all the time, yeah. right? Because I'd lied so much earlier and I was like, I need to rehabilitate myself. 
And then the situation would come that someone would say something like, oh, I love you. And I'd be like, well, what does I love you mean to you? Okay. Yeah. And then we'll tell me what I love you means to them. Then I could say I love you back because I would be like, well, I by your very wishy-washy definition, <laughs> I can say I love yeah, you too. Yeah, that's fine. But I never <laughs> love people in that kind of epic way you Where see on television and in, in the books. The but books, I don't know man. if anybody actually does. We would get over it. You know what I mean? These yeah. people who, who are like, oh, I couldn't live without you. I'm like, either you're you a weak, could. flimsy human being or you're lying to yeah. yourself because you would get over it. You would you would get over people it. People come yeah. back from the most horrible thing. But also, you see, I'm aware of my lack of empathy. And it chooses me. It's things like, I don't want to have children. Mm-hmm. I have zero desire to have children. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason is because, I, you know when people show you a picture of cute kids? I'm not bothered. But then other kids, uh, like your own kids are cute, but other kids are just annoying. That's I mean, true. But that I get a, I like my... My kids are amazing to me, but like I, I don't look at other kids and go, oh, I tell them in a specific I mean, I do, cute, like, but... I do like my nieces and nephews. I really enjoy spending time with my nieces and nephews, but that's not necessarily because they're cute kids. It's because they're, they're funny little they're people funny who like little me. little people, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? But I, I don't understand it's an interesting one as well. As stand-ups as well, I think the idea of emotional empathy, you get... You make a connection with an audience, but that's like an amorphous blob as well. Yes. Like, if you actually... Like, I find myself... Like, I go into stage mode, and I connect with an audience, but if... Like, I'm actually quite an empathetic person, but if I was actually operating normally, like I normally do, I wouldn't be able to form because I'd see that person there laughing, that person there feeling a little bit awkward, that person there, you know, and, you know, and, it, and I'd be zoning in too, too specifically. So it's almost like the, the, the audience become this one, one group for me and it, there's, a, there's a connection, but it's not about emotional empathy, I suppose. Now, I'll tell you so, what's interesting. I'm not necessarily empathetic, but I'm very observant and fully understanding of all the small things which are going on. Yeah. So it's little things like I have been at a party and I've noticed a person say something which created a subtle change in their wife. Yeah. And I'm able to to, to see all the little things oh, going on. Yeah, you... And I think it's because, again, I don't get caught up in it. And if yeah. it's like in debates, people yeah. get really heated and yelling at me. And I'm always just on the same monotone. I'm yeah. not, I, I don't need to get really heated up in it. Because that's it. If you get too emotionally involved, like you, your brain's not on full, um, in full control there. Because your emotions are kind of rushing in. But um, I still think I've got twenty percent. So, yeah. so I think this is the thing. Um, I, I remember reading a book where someone was was talking about someone and saying, "No, no, no, no. It's not that you don't feel anything. It's that you you just have it muffled." Yeah. Right? So I still care for some people and I still get hurt by some things, but I think I just have the dial it's dialed down, down to because you to, yeah, to. you're in you, you could because you're logical, you're thinking in your yes. head and you're observing all yes. the time. Yeah. And also that maybe this is too personal a thing, but I I would say I think that's also why things like sexuality have a a great deal of um of a pull towards people who have their their emotions dialed down because it's one of the few places where it spikes up. Right, yeah. You know yeah. I mean? oh, yeah, so I can understand, set, you know, I can almost understand how some of these people become like horrible criminals because again, the danger of crime probably is one of the few times 
their little dial goes that's, up. That's it. They, 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 they get that levity where they feel yes. alive. Which and is comedy is the performing dials it up. It dials up. It makes you feel more alive, doesn't it? Yeah. It's a it's a it's a high. You know, if you go a week without a show, you know, you might get. To, if I have a Friday night off or something like that, there's a little flutter in my thing, and I go, "What's what's that?" And I go, "Oh, because normally I'm I'm." I'm standing up and I've got this adrenaline kick and I'm kind of used to that kind of rhythm of like, bang, it's intense, it's a sprint and then you go, it's fine, I can relax for a second. But we've just been talking about me, who's the most psychopathic person you've well, met? one of the most kind of shocking examples for me was this guy, he's not alive now, he's called Richard Kuklinski, heard this guy? Okay, he, was a, don't know. he was a mafia hitman and then there's a documentary, quite, there's quite a few documentaries on him, but... Uh, one's called the Iceman. He was called the Iceman because he would freeze. He had an industrial freezer and he'd freeze his victims and then bury them, at, like maybe a couple of years later, you know, so that mm-hmm. the case had yeah. gone cold, so to speak. And uh, and so and he and and the, if you watch the interview with him, I mean, I wouldn't recommend watching it because it's quite it is quite chilling, right? Where he, just the coldness and the lack of empathy just describing how he'd killed he said he'd killed so basically they think he's killed and he would admit he says he's killed between 100 and 200 people but he can't quite remember right. he's that, that unbothered right. he doesn't yes. think about it he just you know and, and some and it, and it was that fascination with pain for him so he did it in all sorts of different ways. He dropped cyanide on so people. So was he doing it because he was hired or was he doing well, it for fun? Originally when he originally killed people it was because maybe he was offended. It was for some like very very passe reason that his his pride was dented and and and, and it killed some people. But eventually, he was kind of known as a as a bit of a a, a, a nutter. And then he started working for the American mafia for a, a mafia family. Oh, yeah. And he was then an enforcer of debts and all that. And then basically anyone that would um, you know not pay up, they'd just disappear. And this was the guy. Okay. That would he'd okay. lose him, and 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 it was like things like if you in the interview, he says things like on Christmas Day he did a hit, um in the morning it was with his he had he had a, a wife and two kids they had no clue what he did he, they just thought he was a businessman and that's all he said he did never give any details what he did Christmas Day he went killed someone and they begged for life just you know blew the head off then went back and then started wrapping presents for his kids. You know, yeah, and it's that exactly. kind of coldness. Now, this that is, is an interesting chilling, thing, though, right? How do you th- do? You think he loved his kids? Yeah, and in the interview, he says that's the one regret he has that that he's caused his kids pain. And and it was interesting. You could see him almost breaking up in the interview. And he goes, "I, lo- I, you know, they they are the only people in the world I care for. My wife, my kids, and I'm sorry that I've caused them pain." So that was yes. the only bit. Yes. That was the only bit. Everything else. Like, and, it, and it was a whole thing, you know. He talks about one person. He said he'd give them half an hour, and they, they, they you know, they, they, they prayed, please don't kill me. And, and then, and then, and then he'd, he'd, he'd kill them. Another person, he'd, he'd, he'd hang just by um, hanging them off and um, getting the rope and then pulling them yeah. over his back. And he was just fascinated with all but these different. This ways is also why I was asking if he was being paid because, interestingly, people who are like hitmen for money. Do not uh, as when I bring up the person, you, you'll see what I mean. I do not necessarily find that as psychopathic as people who do it for fun. Now he was also fascinated, but it's very interesting because there are people mm. who have killed loads of people. Either they were hired or they were in war. Look yeah. at the soldiers, and that is one thing. But you know the ones who just 
want to go kill people. Yeah, it's that fascination. It's that fascination and that and desire. That's the, and that's, you see, what I call actual psychopathy, not the kind of... Because I think loads of people don't feel empathy and just pretend they do because society wants you to. Yeah, I know, I get that. And and if you look at um, the history, you know, in, in history, when, when a society is slightly more brutalised, you know, this fascination with pain and other people's pain was, it was done on a mass scale. Think gladiators! In, in, gladiators. In our own country, here in the UK, you know, public hangings, public execution, like if you, if you go through the history of what was done and... These were the biggest events in all of society. Hundreds of thousands of people would have... We still like to watch people done... beat each other to a pulp. Yes, I mean, UFC, but it's too... You know, that sort of thing to a degree. But <laughs> my goodness. But, but when you actually go... When people... It was like things like one called breaking on the wheel. And they'd, they'd actually have people put on like a, you know, a cartwheel and just have them ripped apart. And people used to talk about, oh, was it a good death? Was it a bad death? And the authorities would sometimes strangle the person beforehand as an act of mercy, but not show the, not let the audience know that that's happening. Because yeah. they wanted to see, they want to see someone stuff. go through the pain. Yeah. And that, that's why it was sometimes quite controversial if they drunk too much as well, you know, like the, 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 the victim, because, you know, the audience want to think, He's really feeling this, you know, when and they, they tear off bits of flesh. And, oh, it's crazy. It's brutalised. It's crazy. But yeah. So. Now, I will say this. It's a different thing to want to watch it. Because, again, I think I could watch that sort of thing. But I have no desire to go find it and watch it. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. But then, if you were in a society where it was the main event. Then you go. Everyone, like, people used to go get the sandwiches. It was like going to a football match. Brilliant. That is there's gonna bizarre. Be, there's going to be a that hanging today. There's going to be yeah. a... And, yeah, it was... I mean, there wasn't a lot on TV. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but still, I always find it weird when I'm like, there's nothing... There's no practical reason to watch this sort of thing. Yeah. So yeah. I almost feel like it's a waste of my time what, to watch. What is the point? Does it... Because in terms of human benefit, what, what, what edification does this... Uh, execution bring to you uh, I mean as a society like the the, the, the authorities were, they did public executions to say to basically say hey everybody yeah. stay in line yeah. or this could happen to you exactly but then it would turn on their, their heads sometimes because you know if the if I guess the audience... it's just fascination with the the most extreme things it's the same reason why people you know are fascinated with murder and fascinated with, uh, with fa- psychopaths. psychopaths. You know, there are people who mail these psychopaths love yeah. letters yeah. and, and there are people who fall for them. And, and like the person who I chose, um, I watched like interviews with him. Wow. Yeah, I watched interviews with, with my and one. And it's fascinating. It's isn't terrifying, it? but you want to watch. You, it's, it's, it's amazing because they are human. Yeah. So someone, so this Iceman chilling and I've, I think I've only ever met one person in my life okay. who I think, oh my goodness, I think that person was possibly, not just a psychopath, but possibly insane, right? Yes. And, and I was really frightened by them. I meet hundreds of people. I meet a lot of people. I'm, I'm actually would say, I'm, I'm, I don't mind danger yeah, as well. you've I've worked in prisons. Ones. I've worked in prisons. I've met... Also, I've, I've, I do, um, you know, extreme sport. I've climbed up the High Atlas Mountains. Uh, things don't really scare me so much in, yes. in terms of people and situations and, and, and extreme things. But the, once I was chilled to the bone, okay? Uh, so about 17 years ago, I was, I was in my um, early 20s. 
I, I was in Leeds. I uh, had done a law degree, then I did a master's in law, and then I was just working in Leeds at the time. And um, a friend was a minister at a church in the centre of town. Now, the thing is, when these city centre churches and missions, what they do, they get... People just sort of wander through. They gather through, and it's it. Uh, they're kind of oddballs of yeah, society. It's just like a random they go, yeah. everybody. Yeah. They go to the centre of town and see yeah. what's going on. And so my friend had an office, and this guy Simon every so often would knock on his window every couple of days. And my friend used to go, "Oh no, it's him!" And he'd come. This guy Simon would come in, and they'd have a chat. But he was he was quite an unnerving character, right? Okay. And um, he was kind of similar age. Though. He was in his kind of like mid twenties, and. Um, uh, and and so so through my friend Azariah, who was a minister in this church, I met this guy Simon, right? And uh, and you know tried to be nice, tried to get to know him a little bit, and and kind of just trying to get a handle on on who he was and what he was about, and and he just you'd go into town, he'd, he'd just be wandering, you'd just find him wandering, right? Yes. Just he'd wander all the time, and then it's you know you'd and like I used to. Give him a lift every so often if he because he'd ask for it, I'd go give him a lift. And I, I remember the thing about him, right? He had an inordinately large head. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, like you know, is the he was like Frank Sidebottom. Honestly, he had this huge head, you know, like disproportionately big. That was a for warning sign right there. I was like, yeah, <laughs> alarmist. So you could literally see him coming, you know, because yeah. his head would bob up and down. And he and he and he'd arrive. And um and so, anyway, I, because I knew my friend Azariah, and then uh, they were doing this course at his church, right? He's like a, a, a sort of accredited theology course. And I did it over the year, right? As a, And I was working, but I, I did this course. And it was like once a week on a Thursday. Anyway, this guy, Simon, got win, got kind of somehow in a conversation or whatever. He found that every, he knew it every Thursday night at like... I wasn't doing stand-up at the time, right? Because obviously I was, it, was, it was quite some years ago. And... Um, Every Thursday night, I think I finished at like half nine, right? Okay. And I used to walk out, and he used to always would be there, okay? And I was like, oh, hi, Sam. And we got into this pattern where he just, he'd sort of be wandering, and he kind of making it out that he was just passing, but he was always passing at half past nine and Bridge Street and the centre of Leeds. And I was like, oh, hi. And I was like young, I was like, yeah. like 22. Yeah. And I was just like, okay, what, what do you want? And he used to like, I don't know, go get a packet of biscuits and, you know, and, and, and he'd always want to lift home. So I give him a lift home because I was in my car and I was kind of and I wanted to sort of keep the conversation short and I knew one way. I said, "Do you want to lift home, Sammy?" Yeah, yeah, I'd like, I'd like, I'd like, I'd like, yes. So I used to take him home, drop him off. One day, I dropped him off and then and then he said, "Would you like to come in?" Right, and I went, "I don't know what." Came out. I was like, "Yeah, okay. Why not? Why not?" Why not? And I had a pack of biscuits, I think, and we went up. And he was in one of these tower blocks on the outskirts of Leeds. I went up to his room. Uh, his little flat and obviously he didn't work it was like some kind of like council housing association thing that he'd been given I got in there and I kind of walked in and it was like you know just like you're slightly unnerved anyway in that there was nothing there I could, when I say nothing he had like uh, there was a couch that was like one of these kind of small Ikea couch things that was just there when it was when he was given the place there was I think yeah there was a TV and a, and a little coffee table. Nothing. There was nothing. There was nothing on the walls. No, everything was bare. And then there was just that one room, which I think had a bed. So it was a bed sit. And then that was it. It was a bed sit. And then there was a kitchen. And I looked in the kitchen, and there was nothing in there. No appliances. The only appliance was in the uh, wall. There was a um, uh, these electric cooker things where it's got two little hobs and it's plugged into the wall. 
but there was nothing. It was like empty. And then uh, he said, have a seat. And I, and I sat down, and this is what freaked me out, man. Okay. He then closed the door, and he locked it. Okay. And kept hold of the key. Okay. Right? So I was on edge at this moment, right? And I was like, I just thought it was a bit, a bit, a bit strange. Okay. Okay. And, he, and then he started to just go into this story. And he had a kind of a strange voice. And he went into this story where he goes, I've joined uh, this group. And I was like, tell me about this group. And, he goes, and then he went through this group like, and how they, they meet. And it was like some kind of religious group where they tell him what to do. And, and, and he can only associate with people within this, within this group. And this is what they believe. All right. and, and I was like, well... Um, and then I started to kind of question some of the, the, the mores of this group yeah. that he joined, right? And he went, oh, you're not allowed to say that. And I was like, really? What do you mean? He says, um, we, we've been told about people like you that question our association. Right, and it all got a bit sinister. Wow. I was like, well... Okay. And I said, right, okay. So, And, and I basically got to the thing of saying, look, if, if they, they, they are unquestioning and also only people within this group and only if you associate with this group do... Whatever the, in terms of whatever they believe, yeah. you are justified by being part of this group, then that is what you'd call a cult, right? It, yeah. You're part of a cult because it, it's not open to challenge, it's not open to, yeah. to new people. And, and he said, oh, no, you've said it. And he, and he, and he, and it just, he like flipped in some weird way. And he kind of really freaked me out because he goes, well, um, people that um, say that, we have to report them to the association and then they must be killed. Right, and then they must they be mess, killed. They must be killed, and I was like, "So you, uh, for saying that, you you are sentencing sentencing yourself to death, right?" This all happened really quick, right? <laughs> and he had the key in his and pocket. And you had biscuits, and I had biscuit Maryland cookies. I couldn't believe it. And I was biscuits like, "What?" It was give you a measure of protection in social situations. <laughs> and I was like, "So I was like, no." And I said, "And I said, so Simon, are you threatening that?" I, I'm going to get killed here. I said, yeah, um, yes. Uh, well, it's, it, I won't kill you now, but I will report you to the organisation who will kill you. And it just went freaky. And oh, I'm not kidding Lord. you. The guy was an oddball and he's free. And I was freaking out. And then I just said, and I just had to go, look, okay, that's the end of the conversation. It's the okay. end of our relationship as well. Sam, I'm going to, I'm going to leave now. Uh, and he's, and, and then, and then he looked at me, right. And he just went like it. And I was, and I know, and the and I just thought this guy could just get a knife. Yeah. And this, and the whole flat. The problem. What freaked me out about the this? I think this this was when I noticed that the flat there was nothing in the flat. I thought this is a, this is not a flat. <laughs> this is a murder in <laughs> room. This is murder like, dungeon. This is a dungeon. This is set up for this. Oh man. And then he just went, looked at me. I kid you not. And he went, and he went like this. He went, Hur. what? He goes. Hur. It's only a joke. What do you mean? It's a, I said, I was just making it up. And like that. And I said, but Simon, a joke is meant to be funny. Yes. That wasn't funny. I mean, I wasn't a comedian at the time, yeah. but I still had a... a so, threaten <laughs> to kill someone in a I was joke. Like, that is not funny. Stand-up comedy 101. Do not <laughs> make your audience frightened of you. You meant to... I mean, you create a little bit of tension, but this was like, just uh. freaked me out. And I just... But it was also that I was just on a hyper alert, the whole thing. But I just remember thinking, just this guy, there was something in his eyes and he was just fascinated because he saw the fear in me. Yeah. He saw it. And the weird thing was, I was quite, I'm quite a strong guy. Like physically, I could yeah. have 
beaten Tim Bells at him, but he just had yeah. this air about it, and I, and I think he was fascinated to see my emotional. And he was not; it wasn't. There was no emotional. Care. He was just fascinated that I was frightened and I kicked myself. And then, and it took some negotiating to actually get. And I just was that time going, "I want to get out of here alive. If I can just get yeah. out of here alive, okay. this is it." Yeah, alive. I'm alive, and he's here today. Come yeah. inside. <laughs> yeah, it's nuts. Like the person I found most. Um, the most psychopathic person in the world ever it's interesting if this had been done a year ago i probably would have gone with someone like jeffrey Dahmer, yeah or one of these people like that but then actually the person who i came across was ed kemper i don't know if you know about ed kemper he's one of the people who actually contributed to our current definition of what a psychopath is all right because he was ve- he liked to talk he liked to talk so yeah. <laughs> yeah. essentially right he killed 10 people. So not huge numbers. Okay. Right? But it was very... Like, he killed uh, his grandparents. He killed his parents. He picked up hitchhikers. He would dismember them. He ate pieces of some of them. Wow. He did all of this stuff. And then he he turned himself in. And then when he was turned in, he loved to talk. So very early on, when they didn't have a diagnosis, they'd had people like... Um, Manson and people like that, but they didn't understand it. Yeah, and none of these people What's wanted to talk to them. Mind, yeah. This guy was very happy to talk to them, right? Wow. And I, I came across a him because psychopath. there is a movie. There's a no. There's a television series on uh, Netflix called Mind Hunters. Yeah, which sort of shows this time when the FBI had no idea. They had no rules to understand what a psychopath was yeah. because there was no motive and it made no sense. Yeah. And it was these psychiatrists trying to figure it out. And most of the things which we understand about psychopath come from their early interviews with psychopaths. And he was one of the biggest ones with the interview. Uh, okay. And the actor who played it was so interesting. In it. I was like, let me go watch the initial interviews which they they based it on. Oh, so you've got, you can get... So then I went right. and watched the actual interviews. Yeah. And it was terrifying because he's really jovial. Wow. He's charming. That's one of the things. He's yeah. just telling you stories and he'll be like, he'll talk about, oh yeah, and then I tried to kill myself and, uh, you know, I didn't succeed that time. And then, and he just keeps talking like it's everything very normal. Yeah. He will he's talking about he'll the weather. talk about yeah. how people liked him. Occasionally you'll see his rage comes out when he's talking about his mother or something yeah. like that. But other than that, he seems so normal. Yeah. Right? And the thing I find most terrifying is seems so no I think it's also just like he had this very unique voice. He actually did the audiobooks for loads of audiobooks. He did the he, he read no audiobooks. Way. One of the jobs which they used to have in the prison was you could read audiobooks. So they're like they're hundreds of audiobooks where people have probably been listening to this guy. Wow. And it was just I think the thing which I find, and I think this is why I think this is a true psychopath, it's when they're fascinated with um, with pain, but they want to inflict it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then also they, um, it's it's entirely normal to them. Yeah. That's the thing. It's, it's, it's totally that It's normal. not yeah. that in extremists they stabbed someone. Or no. they were paid for it. It's you know what I mean? Like cold, someone man. who's an assassin yeah. who's paid a hundred thousand to kill people. Yeah. I don't think that's necessarily a psychopath. I think that's someone who has 
decided this is something beneficial for me yeah. to do. And then he no shut matter, down and that then he part shut of himself. Down that that part might of himself. be empathetic. But, but yeah. there's no gain for most of these serial killers. They're going yeah. to make their lives worse. They're going to make themselves yeah. hunted. They're going to be whatever. And and it's also interesting that he checked him. He, he confessed because he felt like he wasn't getting what he wanted out of them anymore. Oh, really? Like, as yeah. in the kick? The, the, ki- kick. the kick. Wasn't really? The kick. Right. Because that's interesting, because sometimes serial kills, one of the reasons they do it is for that, that grandiose that's sense true. of self. They want to go true. down in history, but... And it's also that thing where this is a person who he was toying for it for years. So he, uh, so he killed his, his grandparents yeah. when he was around 15. Mm. He was put in incarceration, and then he was let out. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they said... Because he was... This is the problem. He's a model prisoner. He's very jovial. Yeah. He seems like, oh, he had this bad moment... Because he actually only wanted to kill his grandmother. And then he killed his grandfather because he came in. Oh, nightmare. Right? Uh, you know, interrupted. <laughs> <laughs> but essentially, this is the problem. Is that when he went out, he was clearly trying to capture something again. Because uh, he would pick up loads of hitchhikers and then set them free. Then pick up another hitchhiker and set yeah. them free. And it took... Uh-huh. He had been toying with it in his head and fantasizing about yeah. it for... Ages before he actually killed his first one. My goodness. And then he toyed with it again and then he killed another one. And yeah. It, and then it's also the, the getting bored of it and then now I must dismember them. Now I must try yeah. to eat them, put them in a castle. Yeah. And it's just... What's going to give it's, me a kick? It's very bizarre. Yeah. Very bizarre. But it's the, the reason I would say he killed me was actually the interview. Not, not even the actions. Because they are horrible people. Yeah. Politicians, you know, Stalin, people who have murdered much higher... He killed 10 people. There are people who have killed hundreds of people. It's yeah. not about the numbers. The thing is, it's that they discuss it like it's nothing. Yeah. And they... Like they, making a casserole, yes. you know, and you're like, ah, oh, okay. And then on also that, oh, there's something very scary very, about it. And that's that was the thing with this Iceman uh, uh, interviews that I watched. It was like, the only thing I saw him getting emotional over was thinking about his wife and his kids but also interesting same with your guy so Richard Kuklinski's the Iceman your guy's Eddie Kempner yeah Eddie Kempner Eddie Kemp- uh, a connection there is that uh, this guy Richard Kuklinski he got heated when he talked about his mum you yes. know his mum used to beat him and he yeah. said she was a horrible person this is and that is what thing. This he is said often he, his mother was a horrible person the bad person she used to torture him she used to yeah. uh, sexually humiliate him she was yeah. an alcoholic and there's some thing there where parents have such it, it gives you so much um, a lot this, of pressure here a lot of pressure oh my goodness to be a parent <laughs> in the messed up but I actually think it's a combination of factors yes yeah. it's, it's that loneliness of use bad family uh, not being able to socialize yeah. it's it's one thing stacked on another stacked on another stacked on another because yeah. I actually used to do a joke right I don't do this joke anymore but it was a joke about the fact that I resented the fact that when you used to watch movies about psychiatrists, they'd always say, oh, and he was abused. Yes. Oh, and, and as if that explained it. And I'm like, there are loads of people who've been abused, but don't go killing people. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. It's just like I was yeah. offended by it. Yeah, because I'd be like, yeah. it's trying to be reductive and say this one thing. And I think, no, no, no. I think we all have hundreds of influences. Yes. 
And if you have that horrible influence, but you have good friendships or you have a good family, totally. you, there's so, other things which counteract. And this is why I'm like, you find comedy. You know what I mean? like, we totally. all know nutters. Totally. But none of these nutters will step because they find something which makes you feel valid, yeah. which makes you feel appreciated. And I <laughs> sometimes think it. part of the terrifying thing is you see people who are... I, I've, I've seen kids who are clearly having a rough time, mm. right? And if they don't feel like they've got an escape, if they don't feel like uh, things will get better, yeah, that either leads to suicide or it leads to a very terrible place. Yes, because they, sh- you know, particularly in young children, if they don't feel safe emotionally or there's that kind of connection, I- I've read the idea that actually their brain physiology changes yeah. because it shuts down that part that's, uh, that creates empathy and connection out through the amygdala because... Well, it's a protection thing, of course, and so it's going to change everything. It's also repetition, because this is the actual thing. It's not when one bad thing happens. Yeah. It's when the same bad thing happens every day. Yeah. And you don't feel there's an escape. And you think that it's going to go on forever. Because especially as a child, you don't see an end to this. Yeah. And it's just like, is this what your life is going to be forever? Yeah. And that's the most terrifying thing. That is terrifying. Well, that was our episode on uh, psychopaths psychopaths uh, I, um, we're going to get another episode out in a few weeks I'm going away for um, a few weeks as you know to Australia Delisa I'm, I'm slightly upset now that you're not going to miss me <laughs> <laughs> I won't I'm sorry but I'll be very glad when you're back so there's that <laughs> thanks for listening to Firing Blanks with Daily Social Hunter and Tony Vino.